Ball it. One, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. What is going on? Welcome to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pitcherless podcast highlighting the romantic elements of baseball that make America's pastime so special. I'm Noah Scott here with my co-host Brandon Riddle, bringing you some of the wildest stories behind baseball's most famous players, quotes, games, and more. Also joining us today is our guest, pitcherless own Trevor Huth. Trevor does prospect evaluation and podcasting for Prospects Live, is a member of the Bless You Boys staff, and is the podcast manager here at PitcherList. You can find him on Twitter, at Hooth Trevor. Uh, Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. I'm sorry that uh, I might have ran you out of breath there with all the stuff that I do. It's, it's a little too much, but hey, how's fun. How dare you be productive? I know. <laughs> I think my, uh, my full-time employers don't see that entire list. They might wonder what I do all day there. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, I, I saw over Google search that you play collegiate ball. Is that right? I did. I was really bad at baseball. Um, <laughs> somehow convinced a division three school right. to let me play for them. I came halfway across the country. So I w- went to high school in Connecticut and then they weren't going to let me play in the North in new England. So I found a school in central Illinois that hadn't seen me pitch and they're like, yeah, your grades look good. We'll recruit you. So I got to sit the bench for quite a bit of time. I got 2.1 innings in my entire Ooh. college career, all as a freshman. Since this is a Baseball Stories podcast, I'm just going to run with this real quick. Go for it. Uh, I was, I'm was i a lefty pitcher, right? Topping out at a whopping 72 miles an hour on my best day. My kind of guy. <laughs> and uh, I threw mostly curveballs. And my junior year... Uh, which turned out to be my last year. I only played three years. My coach comes up and says, hey, we want you to try something. We want you to try uh, to go submarine. And I'm like, yes. All right, I'll give it a shot. And I'm like, all right, I'm committing to this. Like submarine is my thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it look good. And I'm going to be weird, right? And uh, so I start working on it. I start to get comfortable with it a little bit. Like the mechanics are still terrible, but like the ball's not wildly erratic anymore. Technically, it's still not great, but... Uh, so I bring this into a live scrimmage and I throw off the mound. Only fastballs did not have any off speed pitches. It's a work in progress. It's like a month's work. And I throw it in a game and my teammate comes up after me. He's all excited. He's like, Oh man, you know, and I'm like, this guy was on radar gun. He was taking my, you know, he's taking my velo. I'm like, what was I at? He goes, Oh, you were getting, you're getting better, man. You hit 58 miles an hour. Oh, uh, I was like, uh, I'm going to go back over the top now and uh, just throw 72 and be happy that I'm never going to play. Uh, so that's my baseball, my college baseball career summed up for you. I love that. I 58 love 58 where every pitch is a curveball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a regular it was not a straight line. It, it had a loop. Yeah. I was going to point out like Granky, I think did dip to 56 once. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. We're going to kick it off with something I'm calling the name game. Uh, where I'm going to drop two very quick stories about two of my favorite wacky baseball names throughout history. Now, I'm going to give you two nicknames before I go into the stories behind them. And what I want both of you to do is try and come up with how you think they got that nickname. So for the first one that we're going to be covering tonight, I have Icebox Chamberlain. Um, oh, yeah. So, Trevor, what are your thoughts on on how he got that nickname? Oh my God! Icebox Chamberlain on the spot. I, what what have I been thrust into? Nick on the Pollock, hot seat, you, Nick Pollock. You're listening to this right now, and I want you to know that you, you this you did this. This is awesome. <laughs> Icebox Chamberlain. 
Um, I'm going to say that it has to do with a job that he had either in the off season of, of his career or prior to being a professional baseball player. Kind That's like a really good you, guess. Yeah, like when your grandpa talks about when he had to get ice in the freezer, get a block of ice and bring it up the stairs, he was one of those guys maybe. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Brandon, do you have any any other thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, so Icebox Chamberlain, that out-of-the-park legend that he is, I'm thinking it's just because he had ice in his veins and the big situations in the game. I can lock him down. Oh, that's a good one. I almost wonder if you're looking at the notes. <laughs> well, no, but I also love the Cleveland Spiders team. So we'll talk that's about true. that afterwards. That's true. Oh, we're going we're gonna to have a whole episode on the Cleveland Spiders and the absolute mess that that team became. But and I, I, do, I do have their list of nicknames up after you're done with Icebox here. Love it. Love it. But yes, you're right, Brandon. He got that nickname for, quote unquote, his austere calm in the face of all hostility by the enemy. So yeah, essentially he had ice in his veins. And then one one of my favorite quotes that I found when digging this up was actually from his teammate, uh, Charles Comiskey. And he said that whenever Chamberlain perspires, his shirt freezes to his skin and he has to take a warm bath just to get it off, which I think is a really roundabout <laughs> way of, right? Like, I think that's that's great. But yeah, Icebox Chamberlain, he was born Elton Chamberlain uh, in Warsaw in 1867. So this is we're going to be talking a lot about 19th century players in this segment because they have the best nicknames, but he moved to Buffalo as a kid came, began playing baseball. And then at 16 years old, uh, he actually struck out to play pro ball in Illinois. Didn't do well as a hitter, made a bunch of errors, had no hits. So of course he became a pitcher, right? Uh, one year later, he, when he was 18, he made his major league debut and one fun fact about Icebox is that he actually pitched ambidextrously uh, he was actually one of three 19th century pitchers to do so. And one game on May 9th, 1888, he actually pitched seven innings right-handed and then just switched to the left hand to throw the final two and close it out. Now, the thing that I love about this, though, is not only could he throw with both arms, but he actually never wore a glove because back in those days, I guess, you know, you didn't really need to. And often people look down on people who wore gloves sometimes. But what he did was because he could throw with either hand, he would actually use both hands to throw to a base for pickoffs. So base runners never ah. knew which hand he would be throwing with so he could fake him out. I think that's great. I, w- I would have loved to see Pat Venditti go up there without, without a mitt one time. Probably a balk in today's game, but I think it's worth a shot, right? Yeah, it makes me curious, like, when the bulk came into being, like, when was that first presented as a rule? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, we still don't exactly know what a balk is even today. I mean... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just finishing up here, his best season was in 1889 with the St. Louis Browns, where he won 32 games. Oh, fun. But he was suspended the last week of June because the owner just didn't want to pay him, which is something he did with a lot of his top pitchers. See, some things never change, right? Huh. <laughs> and then he actually threw 421.2 innings and 44 complete games. Can you even imagine that happening today? In one season. <laughs> we might be lucky to get to to break 150 innings pitched with the average pitcher in today's game, right? So that's just wild to me. But then again, didn't throw as hard, right? And then he had his contract following that year. He was sold to Columbus. And then, of course, he struggled when they moved the mound back in 1893 and was eventually released by the Cleveland Spiders in 1896, ending his professional baseball career. So that, in a nutshell, is Icebox Chamberlain. 
Now, the other wacky name that we're going to get into here is another Cleveland spider. Uh, his name is Cupid Childs. So I'm going to give Trevor a little bit of time to think about the, this nickname here. Brandon, why do you think they called him Cupid? Because he was just a dashingly good-looking guy. Like, people just fell in love with him. Douglas <laughs> Cupid, good-looking Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one. Um, uh, so I'm just going to jump in here and I have two things to say. One is that when we're done with this, I have, uh, I've, I've prepared a name for you also while you were going over this last, the last guy's career, Chamberlain's career. So I love this. I'm going to let you guys play also. Uh, and second, the reason that his name is Cupid is obvious. It is clearly because that after games, he would go to the locker room, change out of his uniform, get into a diaper and then have a bow with heart-shaped arrows that he would then run around the city of Cleveland, I believe you said is what he played in, and he would just shoot people with his heart-shaped arrows. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah, so he wasn't just called Cupid. He was Cupid. (laughs) I love that answer so much. And you nailed it. That's exactly why they called him Cupid. Actually, it it was because he was 5'8 and weighed 192 pounds. Now... So like so cherub angels exactly. So so the newspapers refer they called him Cupid just due to his uh, resemblance to the cherub. They also referred to him as fats, fatty, and dumpling. So I mean, you really had uh-huh. to have some thick skin to play baseball back in those Especially, days. Especially, right? yeah. hey. <laughs> and it sounds like he did. There we he go. Did, right? Yeah, and he was actually a great player. So a little bit of background on him is like pretty much every baseball player from the 19th century grew up on a farm, moved to the city, and picked up baseball and started playing once again at 16 years old in the North Carolina State League where he made a name for himself as a good hitter and a slick fielding infielder. Uh, He got a cup of coffee with the Philadelphia Quakers in 1888 but he was released because he lacked experience which once again was pretty much everything in those days where rookies were pretty much reviled by the veterans. Now from there he actually joined a team at Kalamazoo And he went to try out, and they didn't have any pants in his size, so they dug out a skirt for him to wear during the tryout uh, because nothing would fit him. So he was out there in a skirt that he had to cut off at the knees, out, I think, playing shortstop, right? And so, of course, the practice pretty much ground to a halt because he looked absolutely ridiculous out there in the infield. But he quickly won everyone over because he was just so graceful and fluid at shortstop, and they signed him on the spot. Like, can you imagine shutting everyone up on the field when you're wearing a skirt? Like, that's amazing. I love this guy. So then following his debut, they said that Childs is the most curiously built man in baseball because he's about as wide as he is long and weighs about as much as Jeffries, one of his teammates. But there are few men in the league who can get over the ground faster than the dumpling. So this guy was actually really fast from the, from the research that I did, which kind of reminds me a bit of the turtle, uh, Williams Studio. <laughs> And I just love big guys that, that can just move fast on the bases. So I would have loved to see this guy play. Or, you know, it's that momentum once you get going. It's, it's tough to slow down. Oh, yeah. He was a freight train out there. Uh, <laughs> Williams also- Ostudio is a fun baseball player. I'm just oh, throwing so that cool. out there. Oh, definitely. I was uh, – so – Again, I love being on the stories podcast because I don't. I feel like I can go off on tangents. So out of college, I did an internship with the Toledo Mudhens. And uh, so part of what I had to do was go to the away team's locker room, take a picture of their lineup so I could take it back up and we could fill out our uh, press box stat sheet and all that stuff. And uh, so our studio is at AAA with the Rochester Red Wings. It's the Twins AAA team. And I think it, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, so I went down to take a picture of it. 
And the way the um, Mud Hens Away locker room is set up is at the door that I go in. I walk in and immediately to my left is the TV and the couches that they all sit on. And then I walk through that, past that, you can get back into where they have everything, like where everybody changes all that. So I went and took a picture of it. I'm on my way out and there's a bunch of players just sitting watching TV. And the one closest to me on the arm of the couch, one of the couches, just goes, as I walk by, he waits, he's sitting there patiently and then he just goes, <laughs> and jumps at me and <laughs> I started laughing because that was like by far one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me and I look at him and I'm laughing and I have no idea who he is and I get up to the press box again and I'm talking to uh, the stats guy or the official scorer and he's he's looking at the other teams like so look this guy has a really cool stat where he just doesn't strike out he doesn't walk and if you look at his, his uh, Williams Studios minor league numbers that's what happens and I see the picture and I'm like that's the guy. <laughs> that's that's so awesome that that came up too. I love that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely encourage long tangents on this. I mean, that's a storytelling podcast, and we just got a great personal story. Man, that's that's awesome. I scares you on the couch. Love it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously, um, but like he didn't scare me. He doesn't look scary. He's just yeah, funny. exactly. The, yeah. that's what was so funny about <laughs> it. <laughs> I guess you can call him the snapping turtle. Oh, uh, there you go. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, speaking of turtle snapping turtles, I know you have a name game as well, but really quick, I just want to name off some of these Cleveland Spider nicknames all on the same team. Icebox Chamberlain, of course, Cupid, same team. Pretzels, Mortimer, Cowboy, Sport, Chippy, Cinders, Ollie, Crazy, Patsy, Peekaboo, Peekaboo Beach, Highball, Wilson, and Ratsy Rice. Nice. How do you break that team up? That's the most baseball team to ever exist, right? <laughs> So a little bit more about Cupid's career before we move on here. So he actually tore up the league with Kalamazoo, hit 345 with a 915 on base plus slugging, 56 steals. Then he actually signed with the Baltimore Orioles, but had his contract voided when the American Association withdrew from baseball's national agreement and became an independent league and was quoted as actually saying, yeah, I could do better, which I think is pretty great. Uh, The Orioles actually took him to court over that, and he actually won, which is a huge rarity back in those days as a player. And then he went and joined the Cleveland Spiders. Uh, He stayed there for about seven, eight years, put together a very strong career in Cleveland, as one of the best infielders in baseball at the time, holding down second base. Uh, from 1891 to 1898, he slashed 318, 434, 403. So back in those days, uh, dead ball era, not a lot of power, but he could hit for average. And even though he was a big guy, like I said, he could move. He had 184 stolen bases. And so he was actually a really good player, despite his goofy nickname, right? Um, he was a part of the team that blew up prior to 1899, the infamous 20 and 134 season. And then he was sent to St. Louis where he contracted malaria and then only hit 265 because mm. that's a thing that happened to baseball players back then. I think that and happened un- to Marcelo Zuna when he was in St. Louis. Did it really? No, but he pit, he hit really badly <laughs> when he was there. I just remember yeah, him. My team remembers. <laughs> oof! I just remember Ozuna going up to rob a home run in St. Louis and com- just horribly misjudging it and just falling on his face. And I think that's oh. my favorite memory of Marcelo. Zuna so this is Louis. the third podcast I've done for this Pitcherless Podcast Network that that has come up on. That, that is exact play. Oh wow! Who was it? There was I forget the player. I should know this. When the Diamondbacks went down to Australia to play their game, um, there was a fly ball left to left field, and the player I cannot remember who it was went to go scale the wall, and he's up there. The ball drops ten feet in front of him. 
Uh, <laughs> that'll humble you so fast. Can't remember who it was. Man. But uh, yeah. yeah, so malaria, weakened childs, unfortunately, bounced around the minors a lot, and then he ended up retiring in 1905. Now, he actually, by his numbers and his longevity, is one of the best second basemen. I'd actually argue that Cupid Childs is a borderline Hall of Famer. It's something I kind of want to dig into more, perhaps in an article or in a following podcast. But I, I was really impressed because, I don't know, I generally don't expect a whole ton from the 19th century wacky nickname players, but he was, he was, he was really good for a long time. All right, we want to move into the next segment. Hold on, I think I Trevor's got something. Trevor's got something. That's Hold right. I have phone. a name for you guys. So uh, I was I was doing a, a scouting evaluation on the Houston Astros fifth rounder Shea Whitcomb, and I stumbled across. This was like th- four days ago, and I stumbled across a name. And so when we started this, I'm like, oh, I got to bring this dude up, right? And so it just works out. So uh, I'll give you the background information first because we don't need to spend a lot of time with this guy. But his name is Cannonball Titcomb. Uh, he is five six. He was five six, one fifty seven. Lefty uh, pitcher. He pitched for five years. Played for the Philadelphia Quakers, the Philadelphia Athletics, the New York Giants, and the Rochester Broncos, which I just learned was a team right now. And so, my question is, how do you think he got his nickname? Um. So, what year was this again? Oh, he pitched from 1886 to 1890. Okay. He lost his left leg in the Cannibal and Civil War. Okay. That's a really... Is that where you were going? (laughs) That was a really good good, uh, guess there. I was going to guess that he was a pirate, actually, and he actually fired the the cannons off the ship. It would have worked out a lot better if he was actually on the pirates during his career, but uh, I think that's probably... a a top three baseball nickname that I've ever heard that just both. That's amazing. He also but. won a world series by the way in 1888. So, wow. All right. According to his baseball reference page. So uh, his real name, by the way, if you're wondering is Liddell L E D E L L. And according to my vigorous Wikipedia search, mm-hmm. um, posthumous chronicles and reference works about Titcomb refer to him as, as Cannonball Titcomb, thus assigning him a nickname which was never used during his playing days. No! Uh, <laughs> and Cannonball that was kind of a trick a question, one. but that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, like, when I When I die, I want <laughs> to be posthumously given a nickname that's as cool as Cannonball. I don't know what Nick, that is. You're hearing this, Nick. We're talking directly <laughs> to you now. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, uh, Brandon, you want to Shall take us we? into the next segment? Absolutely. The pickle jar, which I absolutely love. Uh, so once again, we just uh, I called up a f- friend who's not a baseball fan, and I asked them a baseball jargon term and said, what does it mean? Put them on the spot and have them give me an answer. Uh, so I called my good friend Courtney and um, asked her, what does a golden sombrero mean? She goes, is this baseball? Yes, it is. And then she goes, this is the quote, is that like a trophy? Is it a weird play, like a play that makes the shape of a sombrero? Okay, kind of like going around the horn. I can see that. Uh, but no. <laughs> so, of course, what the golden sombrero is, is when a batter strikes out four times in a single game. And the all-time leader in that stat is Ryan Howard, 27 Oof. times. <laughs> this is my shocked face. And so where did that phrase come from? Um, of course, we, uh, Noah asked his, his girlfriend. and So I texted her this out of the blue, and she immediately texted back. I'm going to censor this. And she said, 
what the heck does that mean? Now you can infer, you know, the verbiage that she used there. And then she said, cause she's a basketball fan and her guess was actually, I'll give her a lot of credit. Uh, very close. So she, she figured that, you know, it's a hat. It's got to be something like a hat trick. And she thought it was three home runs in a game. So I'll give her a ton of credit for that. Pretty solid. Very solid. Uh, And and that's kind of where it does originate from, from the hat trick. Yeah. Uh, So it goes back to Carmelo Martinez and the Padres in 1984. He was a player out there. And after he struck out three times in the game, oh, sorry, four times in the game, I was saying. So he struck out four times, came back to the clubhouse. So the press asked him, you know, what's, you know, how's it feel to have that big hat trick? And he goes, a big hat trick. It's like a sombrero, probably made of gold. So just that quote after that took off, golden sombrero. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a pickle jar. And up next, we have, I kind of like this title. I didn't make it, but it's Story Time with Brandon, which makes me happy. Uh, So we're going to kind of go on a small ride here to get to talking about baseball on ice. Um, so we're going to start sorry, with what now? baseball on ice, my good sir. This happened at least twice. Like Icebox Chamberlain was playing baseball? No, this, I got yeah, this was before Icebox. <laughs> 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 so this was the starting back to 1858. I'm going to start here. Uh, this was probably one of the earliest banquets of baseball. This is called the Baseball Banquet at the American Hotel. It was given as a celebration of a tournament between the Flower City Club and the oh, other club, which I should have written down, but I don't see it. Uh, so two, oh, the Niagara Buffaloes, that's who it was, the Niagara Buffaloes and the Flower City Club. And in this speech, or sorry, in this banquet, there was a speech given by the president of Flower City. And I'm going to read just a small paragraph of it because it is truly beautiful. The game of, and when I enunciate, mind you, um, it's because he enunciated those words and they're in italic, so it's meant to be extraordinarily obvious. The game of ball is but a miniature of the rivalry of life. In both, may you and all of us play our parts manfully. May the blows you deal send the balls of truth down the right field and always within the bounds. May your foul balls never be caught by your opponents. May you make every base in the round of duty upon which manhood has set its impress. May your innings at the first side hearth be the best of all. And when the shortstop is put by the great umpire to your runs, may you find home base where celestial music is struck by angel hands on golden lyres. That was one paragraph, and you can go and look at this thing on, on uh, at the old newspapers, and it is full of magical references to the gods of Mars and Neptune and fields of battle. It's beautiful. At, at the risk of getting existential here, who do you think he's referring to as the great umpire? Do we think it's Joe West? Angel Hernandez. It would be it. Angel Hernandez. That's you know, it, 100%. That's Great answer. And, and yeah, he's just been living forever since 1858. He's the immortal umpire, praise the be. Back, back um, then, he could see the strikes film a little better, though. Ooh. It was much bigger, to be fair. <laughs> Probably wasn't <laughs> strikes. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and at this uh, banquet, there was the first baseball song ever composed, played, at least that I can find. It's called the Baseball Polka. Yay. And it was a great time. But two years later, um, a polka was made for a specific team, the first song made for a team. That was the Live Oak Baseball Club. 
And that was 1860. And that same year in 1860, they did pretty okay out in the league. They, from what I could tell, went about 500, had a good season. And then at the end in December, they put out a challenge to the state of New York. They said, anybody out there that has 10 players, come see us. We'll play our favorite game of ball on ice skates. And that went out to a handful of newspapers out there. (laughs) And every newspaper I saw that had this absolutely called them out saying, we cannot let this stand. Who amongst us has the baseballs to fulfill this challenge? And lo and behold, the champions of the league, the Atlantic Baseball Club, took them on. So best team versus a pretty okay team on ice skates. Excellent. So we go to January of that year, of 61, when it's supposed to play. And the first time they're supposed to play, there are cracks in this ice pond and water seeping out of it. And they're afraid they might all just drown and die together. Uh, So they postpone it, which is wise. And so finally in February, they decide on the day. It's clear. It's cold. The ice is solid. There's no water seeping out of it. And both teams show up along with 15,000 fans. 15,000 people stood on the pond in New York to watch a baseball game. I didn't know ice could support that many people. The thing Cupid wasn't there. <laughs> and that's insane. So they all have ice skates on as they play baseball. And unfortunately, there's no actual narration of the play of exactly what happened. They just make some quips about baseball players slipping and sliding, um, how some of the best ball players are the worst skaters, but some of the best skaters are the worst players. So it kind of evened out in that way. And when I saw there was only one injury, a fellow who went unnamed, they found him on the field of play concussed. He didn't say concussed. They don't think that was a thing at the time. But insensible is what they said. Insensible and bleeding from the ear. <laughs> so if I got concussed, bleeding from the ear somehow. I, if I had a nickel. Right, so. absolutely. That's probably <laughs> what it cost. And they brought him to a tent, fanned them off and sent them home. Be on your way. But ultimately, the Atlantic Baseball Club won this by a score of 36 to 25, which is actually a normal score for that time. (laughs) That's Rob Manfred's dream right there. Well, even that game. So when I was doing research on this Live Oak team, uh, the the one time I saw for a a game length was about uh, three hours, they said. So 1860 to today. Yeah. Hey, comparable. What are you doing, Manfred? Stop messing with our game. Now, I think the only reasonable follow-up question here is which current baseball player do you think could play the best game on ice skates? Easy answer. Easy answer. I was asking besides the turtle, but Trevor's got the answer. He's got it. I'm going to see if you guys can... I'm just going to throw... Start talking and see if you guys can throw the name out there. Okay. Um, He's good at literally every single sport and everything he does. Betts. There no, you Mike go. Traps. I don't care. Mike Traps still gonna do it. Mookie Betts was gonna be my pick too. Yeah, I shouldn't have forgot about him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a good. I'd one. I'd love to see Mike Trout on skates swinging a bat, though. I but feel like moreover, I'd love to see Jacob Degrom in skates pitching the ball. No, I'm sorry. I'd love to see Tim Lincecum on yes. skates. Yes. Oh, I think I think he would just kind of get distracted and just go enjoy himself on the ice. <laughs> that's what my heart thinks he's doing he right threw, now. It's just living his best life. He throw one warm up pitch with like the violence in his lower legs, just not be able to stop his land leg, and he would just do the splits and just get up and start like ice skating and figure yeah, skating. Maybe it'd be fun. I like would a cartoon character. Yeah, I would love to see Max Scherzer strike somebody out and then angrily skate around the the pitching mound. <laughs> maybe stomp a couple times. Uh, I, I would just hate to see somebody slide in the second. 
<laughs> Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, gosh. That's not, that's not a good situation. To be fair, though, you're going to be sliding into all of the bases yeah, just on skates. This is true. <laughs> Ty Cobb would have done really, really well this game, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'd hey, really the Tigers got it. mentioned. We made it. There you go. The Tigers made it. He'd really um, cut down the competition. Oh, gosh. Oh, okay. Man. Well, that's enough of that. Um, <laughs> well, that just about wraps up our show for tonight. So, Thank you, Trevor, for for coming on and being our guest tonight. We had a lot of fun, especially with that that Willens' studio story. That just worked out so perfectly. Yeah, so you can find Trevor on Twitter at Hooth Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Noah A Scott Six. Brandon, I don't remember yours off of the top of my head. I was going to be impressed there. I think it's BD Riddle. You're exactly right. At BD Riddle on Twitter. So for Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. <laughs>